Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Michigan Avenue Media and the World of Ink Network. This podcast was founded in 2011 by Marsha Casper Cook and Virginia Grenier. Their focus has always been on helping writers reach their dreams by having informative and entertaining shows. You will also hear the latest information on what's new and exciting in the publishing and marketing industry. And the shows will also cover discussions on screenwriting, audiobooks and movies. New to the shows will be the latest style and trends in fashion, as well as nutrition and how Pinterest can add just the right spark of attention you may need for your projects. So, sit back and relax and enjoy the show. You can find out more information about our shows and being a guest at www.michiganavenuemedia.com. Hi, everybody. It's Marsha, and we got a great show today. And um, we're gonna—I'm gonna let. Um, well, I'm, it's actually Elizabeth Black who is now Trish Wilson. That is her <laughs> name now. So I'm probably—I should say this. I'm going to call her both while we're on the show. But those of you that know her, she's been on so many shows. But it's, she's been Elizabeth Black then. So now she's Trish Wilson. So we'll try to get through that. But she's going to introduce our guest today. It's going to be with a tribute to Anne Rice and um, we should all be as popular as she was. <laughs> we'll be all okay. Um, a very popular person who did so many things and also had movies done from her work. And so I'm going to let Elizabeth say all that. And so we're going to have a great show today. Elizabeth, it's all yours. Trish, it's all okay. yours. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the book Dancing in the Shadows, a tribute to Anne Rice. And our guests today are Elaine Pascal, Angela Yoriko Smith, and Rebecca Rowland. So the book itself is um, 19 authors show their love to the Queen of Horror with a collection of gothic tales inspired by her legacy, a charity anthology with all proceeds to benefit the animal rescue of New Orleans in honor of Anne Rice, whose fondness for animals was well known. And the book is edited by Elaine Pascal and Rebecca Rowland, and Angelina Co-Smith and I have stories in it. So to introduce the guest, Elaine Pascal, her writing has been published in several magazines and anthologies. She's the author of If Nothing Else, Eve, We've Enjoyed the Fruit, The Blood Nights, I'm sorry, The Blood Lights, and the nonfiction book Metamorphosis, Identity Outcomes, and International Student Adaptation, A Grounded Theory Study. Rebecca Rowland is an active member of the Horror Writers Association and a member of the New England Horror Writers, Horror Authors Guild, and Whip City Wordsmiths. She accrued graduate degrees in English, Education, and Information Science, as well as an obnoxious amount of student loan debt, and thus she pays the man as a ghostwriter and educator, but vacations as a, hard, as a dark fiction author and horror and speculative fiction editor. Angela Yuriko Smith is a three-time Bram Stoker Awards finalist for Excellence in Long Fiction for Bittersweets 2018, Excellence in Poetry for Tortured Willows 2021, and Excellence in Short Nonfiction for Horror Writers, Architects of Hope in Sirens Call Easy in Halloween 2021. She was also selected as the Horror Writer Association's Mentor of the Year for 2020. In addition, four of her poetry chat books have been nominated for Elgin Awards. So I have introduced everybody except for myself. Okay, you know, you know, as we were reading this, I was just thinking to myself, well, and, but you know, this, you know, because you brought so many horror writers, or we call it dark, dark mm-hmm. fiction, dark, you know, so people don't get nervous when they say hear horror. So I think that you know, it's very interesting because the groups of people that you brought. Everybody seems to like kind of know each other, which is a nice thing, and support each other. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really nice thing because it doesn't always happen that way, you know. Um, because I, you know, a lot of times there's so many romance authors they don't really know each other. But I'm thinking because you know we had John Skip on and he knew people you knew and you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think that that really that. is it's, a nice it's thing. Very close community. Yeah, yeah and I think that's a good thing. And I do, and I think that's a really good thing. I just was thinking of this in my head there. But, uh, okay, so I think, you know, I have one question. It's like a lot of people, I've had a lot of people on with anthologies. Whose idea was this? 
to have an anthology like this. Anybody know who that was that started it? This, this is so. This is Rebecca. It was Elaine's Hi. idea. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this is 100 percent Elaine. This came from okay, she was the grandchild, and I have to give her full 100 percent credit for it. And um, she invited me to join her in this project, and I'm certainly very indebted to her for that. But she she came up with it. She came up with the concept, um, and we ran with it. So she was definitely yeah. the person. That led us, that led us to uh, to dance in the shadows for certain. Yes, because nineteen authors—that's a lot of people in an anthology. Yeah, you know, and all the proceeds are going to a charity too. So that's very nice. Yeah, Animal Rescue of New Orleans. God, what attracted yeah. you to that anthology? I mean, sorry, that that uh, um, the the rescue to begin with. What attracted you to that one? <laughs> I don't think we could. I think we might not be able to hear that. Did we hear that? Oh, I can't hear anybody except you. No, that that Can, broke up for me really bad. Yeah. All right, maybe we could just Can, repeat that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I just yeah. wanted to know what was it about Animal Rescue New Orleans that attracted your attention? Okay, this is Elaine. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, yes, I can hear you now. Yeah, okay. okay. All right. So we wanted to do something okay. for the community of New Orleans because Anne Rice is associated with that area. You know, she's sort of like yeah. the queen of New Orleans. Right. Um, mm-hmm. We wanted, and we were, you know, sort of batting back and forth about what we wanted to do, and we were across Arno, which was so impressive. They came together after Hurricane Katrina and really, you know, did an amazing yeah. job at that time and then continued their efforts. And, and we know that Anne Rice has had a soft spot for animals, and certainly every writer in our anthology and the editors and the artists and the publisher, we, we all are <laughs> animal. Like, we all have, like, these animal rescues that are out of control in our own homes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it really it meant something. Yeah. It meant something to us and something that we right. want to continue. It makes it so that even though the book is now out, we want to keep it alive because we want that money to keep going to the charity mm-hmm. and not a, no one involved took a single penny. The artist, um, Jeanette good. Andromeda, nice. who did the cover and did the internal mm-hmm. art, she did that for free. Angela is the publisher, and she dedicated her time to it. Rebecca and I did all of our editing. Every author gave their story, you know, for free. Yeah. And yeah. Um, we also had other people involved, like Nina Darkangela and Lee Andrew Foreman, who helped with some of the formatting and marketing and things. Mm-hmm. And, again, every it was really a labor of love. And I think because we love animals so much, it was just a natural collaboration. It's a good idea. No, it's a good mm-hmm. idea, you know, and I think, yeah, it works when you have an idea like so that. So ever since uh, COVID, the animal shelters have really needed a lot of help. I mean, yeah. they have people yeah. that are yeah. returning to yeah. cats and people that, yeah. you know, they, they just don't have enough food. There's a cat food shortage, I know that. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. this is perfect timing. Did you just say mm-hmm. returning? Yeah, I, I like know. That. That, part, that part. I didn't even know people could do that. They return it. I thought I I, I heard that, and yeah. I don't even know how that is. But that's you know, not a good thing, you know. That's why I love thought. this book so much. And this is Angela, by the way. Um, every time I I almost think of it as like that. You know, in that movie, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Every time yeah. a copy I love that movie. of Dancing in the Shadows. I love shadows, that movie. There, I so, love that. It's an yeah, old movie. Oh, my God. I love that. Sells, I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A cat gets a yeah. bowl of food, maybe, or a dog gets yeah. a bowl of food, or maybe mm-hmm. another day. Well, that it's a no-kill rescue, which is what I just thought was amazing about mm-hmm. it. That's the way I like to think of this. Every time I give this book to somebody, something is happening to an animal in New Orleans that is good. Right. Well, yeah. that's a, so. Are you planning like sometimes with anthologies they just stop after a while? So you're planning on just keeping this going for forever, probably, right? Oh yeah, yeah. This is yeah, a okay, fundraising that's good. project for Arno now. Like I'm actually getting ready to send them a box of books that they can use in their silent auctions there at their their place, you know, or they can sell them or they can give them to um, trustees and just as a continuous thing, like. 
however long it takes for them to go through those books, send them another box. You know, like maybe so. Okay. Books. I know right. they also so I wanna, have wait. a lot of So stories. you send the books. <laughs> it doesn't matter what kind of book it is. You're sending it like for them for their. Um, just, do they have oh, I'm something just, where people come? Yeah, I'm just sending them copies of Dancing in the Shadows so that oh, they okay. can, because it's supporting them, that way they can sell right. it if they want and keep yeah. whatever they want to do with it. Uh, we want right. to make sure okay. we keep oh. them stocked. Yeah, I think that's good. I mean, listen, I think, you know, I think it, it, we really are charitable and I people, and so I do think that that's a good thing to keep things like mm-hmm. this alive. Because sometimes I've mm-hmm. noticed on a lot of the anthologies, that's why I ask that, because they'll say they're only doing it for a couple months. I think, Elizabeth, you, I've, mm-hmm. just, you, you've had that when we've had that, where they just, yeah, it's over. Yeah, some where they're, it's only going to be done for a few months. But most right. of the ones I'm in are, you know, they're done forever. Like, like yeah, this one. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And certainly this one is for a good cause, so absolutely it should be, you know. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I think that Anne would be happy about that. So before we get into anything, does somebody want to talk a little bit about Anne, you know, of what she was like and who she was? Because some people might not know that are listening. Anybody want to take that? Well, I think sharing, like, because I I never met her, so I can't say what she was like, but I know what she meant to me. And as a female horror author, I think this is probably many of our experiences, um, we, I was writing horror, and so what was wrong with me as a as a, a younger writer, as a, as a teenager and a child? And when I read Interview with the Vampire, it was like, oh, my gosh, there's a right. place for me. I can be a girl, and I can write terrible things. Right. So to me, she well, is a, my yeah. mother. So it was <laughs> like right. I wept when she cried. Yeah. You know, it was a huge deal to me. Yeah, and as because, Rebecca yeah. and I reached out to different, Rebecca and I ended up reaching out to different authors to invite them. This was an invite-only anthology, um, and it was just amazing how how much she meant to these people. Like everyone was like, "Oh my God, I have to be involved." And we even yeah. had mm-hmm. one author who did have contact with her. I don't know, Rebecca, if you want to talk a little more about that, but he had a personal experience mm-hmm. with Anne Rice that was incredibly heartwarming and just showed um, just what a giving person she was and how her reach spread beyond just what she wrote. Yeah, so um, Greg Heron is the vice president of the Mystery Writers of America, Mm -hmm. and he he also runs, um, I believe it's the Sinners and Saints Festival, which is a GLBTQ festival down in New Orleans, and he's a, he's a New Orleans resident. He's been there for, for years and years, and absolutely phenomenal writer. And mm-hmm. he was one of the ones that we recruited. And um, when I talked to him about it, he, he just jumped on it immediately. He said, absolutely, you don't have to ask yeah. me twice, and I'm yeah. going to tell you why. And he, he just sort of summarized this experience that he had when he first moved down to New Orleans with his partner, um, the two of them had been out, you know, out, you know, some evening, and um, Greg went home early, and his partner ended up um, being attacked and brutally assaulted on the streets Mm. of New Orleans, and, um, you know, Greg talks about how at the time, the police, and I, and I can't say that they're like this now, but at the time they were extremely homophobic. They were very dismissive of him. And yeah. um, Anne Rice actually took it upon herself to um, reach out and um, wow. I believe talk, and I don't want to misquote his, because his, I have she offered a story reward. and I've read it. She, yeah, right. she offered a reward um, for anybody who came forward with information about the attackers. Yeah. Right, oh, wow. offered the reward, and and never sought out any sort of appreciation. Didn't want any anything from from Greg and his partner at all. And I, I just you know when I I hear that story and I think about how easy it would have been for her to just ignore it, to not right. do anything, mm-hmm. and she took it upon herself to. She didn't know Greg at all. She had never met him, and she she went out of her way to to help someone else and to advocate really for uh, LGBTQ rights 
um, in yeah. a way yeah. at a time when they really weren't being advocated for um, the way they are today. So I, I right. just... Yeah. I mean, people forget. I mean, actually, a lot of times people don't realize what it was like in the past because it was not not, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, you mm. know, it means everything. You know, and that's why if mm-hmm. anything changes now, this could be very bad. I, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know if anybody watched ever, uh, Gentleman Jack. It's on um, HBO. It's oh, a really good series. That. that was good. You that did was very good. It's really yeah, good. You know, and um, this is, I mean, imagine in what was it, eighteen hundreds? I mean, it was like, oh my God, you know. And it's people don't realize how bad it can be when people aren't mm-hmm. allowed to love who they want to love. And I think that mm. anything that anybody does to, you know, help people, because really, you know, it it's, shouldn't be anybody's business, but that's how it is. And even in the old, 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 like that's what Gentleman Jack is about. I didn't realize it. And it's really good if anybody's, you know, if you have uh, H, I think HBO Max, I think yeah. it's on. It's on HBO. Yeah. HBO, yeah, and it's a very good show, you know, and it does, you know, I mean, this is really nice if a person like Anne came in and did something like that, because if there weren't people like that, then things would have not gotten to be better for everybody, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and so somebody has to take a stand, right. And that, it's interesting. You know, because a lot of people just look at an author or somebody very successful, they don't realize all the things that they have done in their life to help other people. It's not just always about mm-hmm. them. You know, so that's a good yeah. story, I think, you know, to hear that she did that. Elizabeth, do you have anything you wanted to talk about first? Do we want to read something or what do you want to do? Um, well, I wanted to know what, um, as far as the stories go, because, I mean, I know it was an invitation-only um, anthology, but what kinds of stories were you looking for? I, mean, I know that this is Gothic literature. I just wanted to know exactly the kind of thing that you were looking for. That was basically it. We were looking for gothic, and we did not want fan fiction. We did not mm-hmm. want any mention of any characters, like no Lestat. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't to reproduce anything that she did, but just to carry on. She really revitalized the gothic movement, and so we wanted to continue with that tradition. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, yeah because I mean, right, because at times says, it's right. right it was it wasn't as popular. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. right. I mean, we we essentially we left it pretty open for the the authors. We sort of described it as as new gothic. Um, mm-hmm. So they could take they could write a very traditional gothic story, which we did get quite a few of those. Um, and we and they could write something more contemporary, but. Um, include elements of Gothic literature, whether it's sort of the large haunted mansion, um, you know, sort of a a pursuing uh, force, anything like that, they could sort of integrate into their story. And I got to tell you, Elaine and I were blown away because Mm -hmm. not only did we get Mm -hmm. the best that Mm -hmm. we could ever imagine, they were all different. There were, we saw everything from vampires to haunted castles to, I mean, you know, we have a haunted airport, like a purgatory. We have, uh, you know, we have rougarous. We have things that, that we, we ourselves couldn't even have imagined we would see in this anthology, and it worked out so well. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I can't say enough about how fortunate I think Elaine and I were with not only the authors that agreed to do this, again, just like Elaine said, for absolutely no payment whatsoever. Right. But they brought their A game. It wasn't just sort of right. like, oh, yeah, okay, well, whatever, we're not getting paid. It was they gave us the best um, mm-hmm. that we could ever Well, that's ever probably wanted, a tribute. Okay. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's a tribute to her, too, you know, because, you know, I think that people that followed her or, you know, are still following her, you know, would want that of themselves to be put the best in. Yeah. Anything with her name in it, I would think, you know, that um, people would like, you know, to be a part of. So that, so uh, I think that's a good thing, that, and that's why you probably have 19. You probably could have had more, and then it would have been, like, really mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth, so, this, so I think maybe before we 
have Elizabeth, uh, Trish read, we should um, mm-hmm. maybe hear the foreword so we can get an idea of what, you know, some of the things in that foreword that were interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I can read that. Um, okay. It was Lisa Kroger that wrote our foreword for us. We were super honored for that. Um, and she, Lisa Kroger, of course, is the author of Monster, she wrote, which is an excellent book on uh, women in horror, you know, which, of course, Anne Rice is <laughs> the woman in horror. I almost feel like I'm a little bit biased, but I'm just going to go out there and say that. <laughs> yeah. um, so to have, to have her write the foreword was just incredibly appropriate and wonderful. That's so, great. But this is uh, the words of Lisa Kroger that I'm reading. Okay. Okay. I want to be loved and never forgotten. I want to be immortal. Those words were spoken by Anne Rice in a 1903 interview with ABC. She was describing her connection to vampires, those immortal beings who took up so much space in her literary work. But she could also have been describing her own legacy and the innumerable writers she inspired over the years. It is nearly impossible. It is a nearly impossible task to sum up the impact of a writer like Anne Rice. After all, the horror genre felt a tsunami wave once she entered the scene. For nearly a century prior, the vampire mythos was owned by Bram Stoker. Every writer who attempted to wear the fangs had to do so within the shadow of Dracula. That is, until Interview with the Vampire emerged onto the scene and changed the horror landscape. Suddenly, the Spanish moss-draped plantation homes of Louisiana were the lair of the blood-sucking fiend rather than the craggy Carpathian Mountains. I was a young adult in university when I first read Anne Rice. I'd always loved horror literature, but vampires had never really been something that spoke directly to me. While I loved the book, Bram Stoker's Dracula, while I loved the book, Bram Stoker's Dracula felt, well, old. The Count simply wasn't scary to me, nor when I had the knife-wielding maniacs of flat, not when I had the knife-wielding maniacs of slasher films on hand, excuse my reading, the vampires of the Hammer Horror era felt the same way. As a child, I'd loved the caped scene in those old films, but as I grew older, these monsters seemed more comic than anything else. It felt overly dramatic and formulaic. The vampire was a bloodthirsty aristocrat who held a scantily dressed woman in his arms, fangs hovering greedily over her neck. You've seen one vampire, you've seen them all, right? Of course, there were truly monstrous vampires, like the ones that terrorized Stephen King's Salem's Lot, or the plague-ridden ones of Richard Matheson, but even those seemed to lose their luster quickly. The vampire genre felt mm, bloodless, pun very much intended. Then I read Anne Rice, specifically Interview with a Vampire. Her vampires were a new kind of monster. They were elegant and artistic, sensitive and dramatic. They were seductive, tragic, flawed. Through them, Rice was able to use the horror genre, to drill deep into the difficult parts of life, things like grief, the nature of evil, and the looming specter of death. Of course, Rice's body of work always made always more than just the, was always more than just a vampire tale. Through her novels, she explored the complicated heritage of families and generational magic with her Mayfair witches. She also wrote about religion, particularly Roman Catholicism, grappling with the meaning of organized religion and its place in a person's life. She wrote gothic romances and gothic horror, draped in lush language like ripped tapestries, and she wrote better than nearly anyone of her era. Rice's vast imagination was perhaps her greatest gift. Within these pages are stories that pay literary homage to the sharp-toothed legacy of the master of horror, Anne Rice. Editors Elaine Pascal and Rebecca Rowland have done a masterful job at collecting stories that both honor the immense legacy of Rice but also evoke her themes, tropes, and settings. New Orleans, with its centuries of history and magic, looms large in many of these stories. So do manor houses that hold the thick fabric of grief interwoven with family secrets, secrets that refuse to, be, to stay dead, as in C.W. Blackwell's House of Blood and Stone. And Gordon B. White's A Freshening Wind, the setting is a Greek revival home, house that is haunted by the past, all set amid the blossom-scented winds of the south, humidity and all. Maybe it's best not to ignore that moaning sound. Similarly, a New Orleans plantation takes on a creepy mood when viewed under a full moon, 
in the story The Unwrapping by Anthony S. Buoni. And I apologize if I mispronounced his last name. Of course, there's more to Anne Rice than just New Orleans, and these stories represent all the different facets of her work. Rice's Mayfair witches are evoked by stories like The Witch Mirror by Morgan Sylvia, who delivers a rich tale of generational magic and rituals. Psychics like those that frequent Jackson Square abound. In Green is Life by Lamont A. Turner, flipping houses becomes a dangerous pastime when an old daguerreotype of a medium is discovered. In Greg Heron's story, The Rosary of Broken Promises, a psychic speaks to the spirits haunting her house. The gothic tradition that Rice loved so loved is ever-present in these pages. It's in the grease-stained storyline of The Little Stain by Scotty Milder, in the cemetery that holds female rage and unrest by Casey Griffont, and in the secret lives of twins in Dirty, Unhappy Things by Trish Wilson. The gothic lingers in the mysterious book that lives in the center of The Governess of Bethel Alley by Christina Lejewski. Religion even factors into the core of some of these stories, especially Holly Ray Garcia's Blood of the Rigaroo and Interview with the Almighty by Angela Rico Smith. Of course, these are only a sampling of the stories within the pages of this collection. Each and every one is a tribute to the legacy of one writer, and so we return to where we began. I want to be loved and never forgotten. I want to be immortal. Anne Rice did not have to become a vampire to live forever. She is alive in her words, and she is alive in her legacy. Seen through these stories is inspired by her immense talent. Anne Rice is a woman whose wish was fulfilled. She is loved and never forgotten. Want a taste of immortality? Simply sit back and turn the page. What are you waiting for? And that, again, was the words of Lisa Kroger. And I apologize for all my stumbling there. <laughs> you can tell I usually read e-books. No, I think, it's, like, look, I, think it's, <laughs> I, I think it's really important. I think it's important to read that because that really sums up who she was mm-hmm. and what she did it and is. how and people... The, and, yeah. love and how people and respect, were involved. I think every author and the editors and everybody involved had for her. And then, you know, and then if so. for some that might not read, you know, as much, they can always see the movie too. Interview with a vampire, I think it's Tom Cruise and um, Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. So that was I really. Bryce liked the movie. I know a lot of, at the time a lot of people didn't think that Tom Cruise could play Lestat. But uh, I, I understand she liked it. Yeah. And There's pictures of her online with her and, and the both of them, you know. So I think, yeah, you know, well, he did yeah, an and that's a good job. thing if they're happy with the way it turned out, if if somebody's mm-hmm. happy with the way, you know, their book turned out. So, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, and and listen, now with Netflix and all these things, all these movies, too, they're, they're on forever, too. So people, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of books are movies, so I think that this is, it, it will live on. You know, in people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is a, well, yeah. and even the movies it's a big genre now. Good, and the books are not, they're not dated at all. This is an right. enduring story. Like saying Tolkien is dated. He'll never be dated. Yeah. It's, a, it's yeah. a valuable story for all time. And so are the stories she put out. Yeah. That's, that's a really hard thing. And I'll fight anybody to... who disagrees. I will fight yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> But I do think, you know, with a, you know, listening to that, it's for people that are listening to the show that don't know who she was or, you know, don't know much about her. This kind of, you know, what we're talking about today, that's important so they know what she was like. You know, and that that kind of describes everything for people. So that's a good thing. So uh, is this going to be audio at all? An audio book or... Oh, uh, Dancing in the Shadows? Yeah. I don't know, honestly. It could I think be, you could. I think to. you I could think go we... to, I think you could put that on ACX. I yeah. think it would be doing we just, very well we on ACX. I think negotiated for the rights for that, I think, because all, all the authors retained rights immediately upon publication. So they oh, are welcome right. to so send that could be a little more right. That's immediately. A, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah so because ACX belongs to uh, Amazon. ACX belongs mm-hmm. to Amazon. So the proceeds would probably, if you put it to, you know, the same proceeds, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they could, the check would just go there if when they sold, if it they could, sold. Yeah, you know. I would still have to send it to them. But, but that's what I have to do anyway. If I write a check quarterly, you know, yeah, is that what based you do? on yeah. what has yeah. happened that 
Um, and we yeah. could do an audio book because my husband actually produces them. We have a sound booth and everything. Um, well, I think we, they'll be we good. We have to talk it, about the riots. But, I yeah. mean, I'm an audio book yeah, person, I'm so I, I love audio books. So, you know, and I, I'm all the time on the show. A lot of people don't like them, but I really do because it really gets you to a different place. And you you may not pick up a book, you know, to read, but you might listen to it, you know, in, mm-hmm. in your car, on the train, when you're walking, when you're running, you know, anything. So yeah. I'm always thinking, oh, I, you know, cause I, did, I agree. Yeah. It makes it accessible on the listener or the reader's terms where, like, I can't yes. listen to audiobooks. I just can't focus. But yes. that's that's not everybody. Many people love No, because some people so can't focus I, to read. I've heard that a lot. Since COVID, yeah. I've heard that a lot. A lot of people just don't focus on, you know, a lot of things. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, they, that's why they watch TV a lot more. And they listen to audiobooks because they can't focus to read a book a lot. It just happened to people. They were home a lot, and they just couldn't, you know, they just have changed some of the things that they normally did. And that was one of them, you know, reading a lot of them, you know. But all these stories, you know, they are, it, you know, it's a good thing to listen. I mean, I know I talk about it a lot, but I enjoy it. And so I think sometimes people don't even want to try it. But I think once they try it, they would realize how good. I mean, stories sound so so unbelievable on audio. I mean, they do, you know, and especially these kind mm-hmm. of stories. I bet they'd be great, you know. Okay, so Elizabeth, um, Trish, I'm sorry. <laughs> This is hard. Okay, they're going to say, "Who is this host?" And <laughs> it's hosting. This is not my first. This is not my first rodeo, but it, you know. So, do you want to read something, or you don't? You know, anybody that wants to read is fine, and anybody that doesn't is fine too. So, Elizabeth, did you want to read? That's fine. Oh uh, yes, I'd, I'd like to read a little bit okay. of my story. Okay. Good. Okay. Okay. Okay, I'm I'm Trish Wilson. I'm obviously one of the co-hosts here. I'm I'm a horror writer, and I'm also the media director for the horror zine. So um, my story is called Dirty Unhappy Things. So I'm going to begin reading now. Gentlemen, I come to you today exhausted, and I plead for your attention. Maybe your help if you can offer it. With this story, I hope I may be deemed worthy enough to join your frying club, for your establishment is well known throughout London as the foremost gentleman's club for those who have survived horrific events. You'll also accept women, something I appreciate with the greatest respect. First, I must thank you for covering the mirrors. I cannot bear to gaze upon my reflection lest I lose my wits again. I must implore you to please turn down the electric lights. I will never get used to them. They are so unkind and harsh upon my visage. They are a passing fad, and I cannot ever imagine them taking on or catching on. I cannot abide electric lights in my house. I'd never get a wink of sleep if I had. The idea of all those wires snaking about on the walls, horrifying. My name is Abigail Emerson, and I live in Highgate. You may have heard of my family. My father is the esteemed essayist, John Emerson. Now, do not protest too quickly. I am neither delusional nor illegitimate. Hear me out before you doubt my veracity. My father is renowned in England and Europe as a man, of, as a thinking man of letters. His writing is full of profound realization without the poignant sentimentalism so common in his peers. He is a step above them in temperament and intelligence. I grew up in a household that prized reason and intelligent discourse, and our neighbors, extended family, and societal colleagues expected nothing less. For ours was viewed as one of the most stable of environments, a breeding ground for future generations who would take the world by storm. Not only was such a fate expected of us, my father wholeheartedly embraced it. My family has a reputation for dignity and sophisticated living, but I am here today to dispel that image forever. You are likely aware that my mother gave birth to a son, but you are unaware of my existence. I am well accustomed to the disbelief with which you greet me. I am seen, when I am seen at all, as a charlatan eager to get my hands on the Emerson name and fortune. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Riches and fame will not ease my anguish. My heart lurches in despair when I tell my story, yet no one believes me. This club is my last hope. Yet I fear that my tale will fall upon deaf ears. Whoa, woe is me. My bleak existence will become only darker without your support and high regard. As I said, my mother gave birth to a son. You are well aware of that fact. What you are not aware of is that I am my brother Roderick's twin sister. 
I was born sickly, sickly, vulnerable to his strength and cunning. My brother tried to destroy me since the day I was conceived. I am an interloper on his territory. He drained me of nutrients before birth, and he's drained me of sanity after. I know I must sound like a penny dreadful, but I tell the truth. You view my brother, as do most people who have read about his exploits in the papers, as a lively free thinker with a penchant for easy living and intellectual stimulation. He was a member of several elite gentleman clubs, although I doubt he would have dared solicit yours, lest his true nature be exposed. My brother developed an interest in the occult from the time he was six years old, and it is my firm belief his delving into spiritualism, seances in particular, snapped his already fragile mind. By the time we were seven, he had killed several household pets. One bright summer day, when we were nearly eight years old, he had stolen a cigarette from my father's desk drawer, lit it, and choked down the smoke, trying to foolishly emanate our illustrious father. As he coughed, our governess entered the room with her baby. Enraged at the harshness of the tobacco and at getting caught, since the governess had sworn to tell father, he pressed the smoldering cigarette against the baby's plump arm. Both governess and baby screamed in astonishment and pain, attracting father's attention. The governess dared not accuse my brother, aware of reprisal she would have received from my father. She severed her tenure with us, using poor health as an excuse. Governesses came and went. They never lasted long. In my youth, my parents believed I was prone to accidents, and I have had a number of misfortunes, tumbling down into a well, scalded by hot water on our stove, hair catching on fire, being locked in a closet high in the house, and not being found for several hours. All took place before my eighth birthday. Those were not accidents, but wholly inflicted upon me by my brother. One day when we were playing hide-and-seek, my brother sneaked behind me whilst I stood at the top of the main staircase, and he gave me a quick shove. I fell hard, landing on my right arm in such a way as to snap the bone at the elbow. Father preferred to believe in my clumsiness, and I did not dare accuse my brother of harm. Father would never believe his darling son could be so cruel. Yet he was cruel, heartless and bereft of soul. I both loathed and feared him. He was the apple of Father's eye. Always full of energy and quick-witted, my parents displayed their proud progeny to our neighbors and colleagues, all the while hiding me away in boarding school. I felt safe in that school, despite the torturous treatment from the mother superior. It meant I was out of my brother's reach. On family visits, they brought him along, of course, and he tortured me out of the line of vision, told me I was worthless and homely. I'd never find a husband, especially after what he did to me. As I grew, my body filled out, much to the notice of both father and brother. I'd return home for holidays and summers only to be ignored by my father, who refused to hold me the way he had when I was younger, and harassed by my brother, who refused to stop holding me the way he had since, he, since I was trapped in the, in the womb with him. Father fled to home for weeks at a time when I was present, much to my brother's delight. I could not stomach his presence. He spied upon me, groped me with his eyes. His tortures became worse. And that's where I'll stop. Wow. I'd like to hear about this family. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, here's a question now. All right, so now that you've created this, like, do any of you want to go further with the characters you've created on another level? Can you do that? I mean, will you be able to do that? You know, if, let's say you all like, let's say you like, the story that you came up with and you really get attached to these characters, will you use them in anything else? Elizabeth? Trish? This is Trish. I probably won't. No. But uh, things go from bad to worse. And where it ends is really where it needs to end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you don't want to scare yourself? Is that it? Oh, no. <laughs> what happens to these people? <laughs> Anybody else with um, the story that they've written? You know, I, I would any say, do, um, do you know if anybody do... has anybody asked you that question? I should ask that. Is any because they're all not here, the authors? So is anybody that has been involved in the anthology say, can I use my characters again, or have they asked that yet, or no? Yeah, it's actually a really good idea. Um, one of my characters doesn't make it. I, I guess I don't want to spoil it, but you know, it's probably pretty obvious. Um, but the character that does make it, um, there's two characters in my story. 
I've been asked to write another story at the end of the year that is kind of like a an off-kilter superhero story, but not really yeah. with capes and everything. And so I'm going to do a follow-on of a different story I wrote, which is called Just Us League, which is like kind of an invisible vigilante group that um, basically provides justice for men or anybody who would who, who's violent against women. Um, and yeah. then there's the wow. whole thing of like when – if you have this power, when do you start becoming the bully or the aggressor? You know, so that's kind of that story. So I was going to write on that, like basically continue the Justice League. Um, and now that you say that, I'm like, actually yeah. the character in mind could be part of the Justice League. I could totally see that as a survival thing, and then that is kind of how she progressed. So I think you just gave me a tie-in oh, idea okay. with that question. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm, okay. <laughs> no, because I think I think people work so hard on and and you know to be in this mm-hmm. and to have a good story that sometimes you do have a character that you want to continue with, you know, and because mm-hmm. you never know what could happen then, you know, yeah. with them. Yeah. You know, when you have a good, you know, look at when you're writing and you get a good character. This is great. You know, every writer wants mm-hmm. to have that character that, mm-hmm. you know, people go, oh, I remember that character. And they want that character, you know. And so I would say, you know, a lot of people see because now, Trish, when you're reading that, you know, we go through this a lot on a lot of the shows when we have horror authors mm-hmm. that a lot of people, they just can't understand why people like, why don't people want to like horror? And they, you know, and if you call it dark fiction, there's so many stories that are dark fiction. But that's why I didn't specifically say horror in the word, you know, here, because then people, because over the years, Trish and I have found that people get very uptight with that. Would you say that, Elizabeth Fish? Yes? Um, I think they do, but it's, it's starting to wane a bit. Because, uh, I mean, there's been a real nice horror resurgence over the last couple of mm-hmm. years with yeah. you know, things like Stranger Things. And I think that people are seeing that horror isn't just uh, a bunch of, you know, slashing and dicing and right. everybody dies. Right, it's, because it's, it's not it's like that. Because the people that don't mm-hmm. get involved in it, they think of Saw. And they go like, oh, everybody's getting mm-hmm. sliced up today, you know. And that's yeah, not true because the characters are good, you know. And, and you know, unfortunately, like in what you just read, there are people like that in this world, <laughs> you know. As much mm-hmm. as we would not like to think that, but, you know, bringing it to another level. So sometimes, you know, you could probably say these are dark fiction, which was mm-hmm. what I think you said at the beginning Trish, I mean, you now some people, you know, with dark fiction, because yes. that, that is dark, but it's still fiction, you know. And you're right about the things that are on TV now, because there are a lot of those things now that people who didn't watch certain things now are watching them, and the audience, mm-hmm. you know, because years ago when well, I was an agent, people would say, "I don't want horror or historical romance," and those are two fields in writing that have come up. To there's so many of uh, horror writers and uh, historical romance writers now. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and say not only is horror having its day, but it's having its moment of redemption. And and during yeah. the pandemic, they did the studies and they found out that the horror writers. I actually did a whole piece on this. I was so fascinated by this idea. This justification of our genre, our much unloved genre. Um, but they did a study on horror people, like writers and fans of horror, and we were much yeah. more resilient across the board than any other type of reader or fan, and it's because we role-play the experience of what could happen. And instead of being afraid of it and trying to pretend it's not there, we face it, we come up with tools to to defeat it, and we can accept that we may not defeat it. And that's way well, I can see that. that, right. I can see that because, mm-hmm. you know, even years ago when they had, let's say, a movie like Outbreak, nobody wanted to watch it. It was mm-hmm. like a plague and whatever. Mm-hmm. And now we've, like, lived through things like this that mm-hmm. um, people didn't think they could. And you can't yeah. survive these things. You know, I had shows yeah, all really the way around. Does. I had shows all year, all the two years, you know, straight through, mm-hmm. thinking that would people even – Think of, you know, the first time I did the show after, during the COVID, 
I was going like, should I do this show or should I just cancel it? And then I didn't, and mm-hmm. I kept doing shows. And that, but I think you're right. What you're saying is because people, you know, they were freaked, and I think, mm-hmm. you know, horror writers have envisioned things happening mm-hmm. that, that yeah, like I write romance, <laughs> like a romance you might yeah. not think that. What, what yeah. we were all also, laughing about, and I don't, I don't know if Rebecca and Elaine came across this as well, or, or if or if you did as well, Trish. But do you remember the joke going around when the pandemic first started? Not about the pandemic, of course, but all the horror writers were saying, "Oh yeah, I wrote this book. I just didn't realize people were going to deny mm-hmm. the existence of zombies." Or, "Oh, I wrote this book, but I didn't," you know. And so yeah. we were all acknowledging that this is an old story that we have lived through oh, yeah. many times. that that is one of the reasons why people are drawn to horror. It gives us a place where our anxieties can go, you know? I mean, anxiety is the fear where, where we don't have something to kind of, you know, box but because up and put away. You're right about that because over the last two years, people, and I've had shows like this now, people are very stressed. I mean, they, they're to the max now, you know, and they are, and they're mm-hmm. scared, they're, they're stressed, and people are very, you know, it's over-anxious now. Yeah, yeah, You know, absolutely. and I think yeah. that, yeah, I've not heard people mention, like, what you're saying now, but maybe that's a good thing for people mm-hmm. to think about, oh, yeah, to write something You don't want to like pretend this. it's not there. You know, we don't want to be like, there's no pandemic. I had friends that were doing that, and I'm sure you guys did too. And, and how yeah. much did we want to just shake them? Shake them. Don't yeah. get what's going on. Yeah. You can't pretend it's not here. Um, so I yeah. think that's the other thing is, is to watch a romance, I have to pretend that the horror outside my door is not happening. Um, we, we watched yeah. our neighbor, our 26-year-old yeah. neighbor, get leave in a stretcher and get in the, the van. I can't think of what the van is now, but, the you know, the, where you put your dead people um, that was a big thing for us. You know, a 26-year-old yeah. guy died wow. in his sleep in his house. Oh, you mean the was, store? You mean the storage where they were storing the bodies? You mean? Oh no, I'm saying this was our neighbor. We woke up one oh, morning to his wife oh. screaming on the front porch that her husband was dead. Oh. He was 26. Oh. And yeah, and the you know the cars and you know all of that. But this is oh, outside my of my normal experience. Oh wow! You know, and wow. so that is literally a horror novel plopped itself down in my neighbor's house. Mm-hmm. That house is no, that, empty that's true. now, by the way. Yeah, so that was like, I can't just go and watch Disney after that. You know what I mean? I need mm-hmm. to have something that mm-hmm. is going to, like, right. like I can't remember if it was Elaine or Rebecca that said it, but address that terror and fear that I am feeling, but focus it in on, on a monster that I can face. Because I can't yeah. face his death. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, a lot of changes in writing and uh, writing habits and, you know, also, you know, during the COVID, because a lot of people, I, I do remember, though, people were saying, like, will they end, will they put it in their books or will they just forget it happened? But I think after two years, you can't forget it happened. <laughs> it's not possible because it happened, you know. And so I think that is a, that has, has to come somewhere in people's writing, you know, uh, these, mm-hmm. it's, it's over two years, so you can, you know it kind of would come into people's minds, I would think, when they're writing. But it was a very strange time, I will say that for people, you know. Yeah. And hopefully we won't see what we saw, but it, it was frightening. But I do think we never looked at it that way about the horror writers not really being as freaked out as maybe some of the other people were, mm-hmm. you know, like well, the happily ever after. Writers- 
I think horror writers probably are not going to directly write pandemic stories. I mean, I know I see a lot yeah. of people saying we don't want to talk about it, like it's enough already, mm-hmm. but it will impact the writing. Like I can remember after 9-11, I would look at the date a book was published, and if it was prior to 9-11, I was like, oh, that was in the old world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Now, right, now right. I want to read things that are part of the new normal. We're in a new normal. Right, right, exactly. That's the true. Pandemic. Like this is our new normal. I want right, things right, to take right. place in the new normal. Right, that's that's probably a good way to look at it because I think you're right about that. Because this is a new, you know, we're not going back where, where it was. It's going to be whatever it is now. It is, you mm-hmm. know, this is where we are, <clears throat> good or bad. But I think you know, and I do think writers, you know, writers think a lot differently than other people do. You know, they're deeper on a lot of things about this because we see a story in everything. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. somebody sneezes and we see a story. You know, you go, oh, this is good. They were sneezing. Does anybody yeah. want to ask each other questions as long as you're on together? You know, anybody else want to ask something of each other? Angela, did you want well, to ask anything? I don't, I don't know about, well, I don't know about asking, but I do want to thank uh, both Elaine and Rebecca for letting me a part, be a part of this amazing project. I know... Uh, after Anne passed away, I was very much, you know, oh, my gosh, I just, I, I have to do something. It's like my mother just passed away, not giving myself credit that Anne, you know, that was my part. She did not know I existed, um, which is sad. But I hope <laughs> you do now, Anne, because we're feeding your cat. But <laughs> yeah, continuing that on. But that was a therapeutic thing for me. Like, I just, as soon as it was brought to me, it was like, yes, please. Let me do this because then it's my outlet, my way to honor her. And I have felt yeah. um, amazing about it. It's been, and it came at a really incredibly busy time for me, which I have like, oh, I really want to focus more on it. Um, and so they really handled like everything. And then we had the Nina D'Arcangela and, and Lee Foreman. The team has just built this and just made it this amazing thing. And so I just say thank you in a very long-winded way. I apologize about that long-winded thing that I just shouted out, but thank you so much for just letting me be a part of it because it's been a, an incredible honor and I'm excited to continue it and see where we can go with it. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm thinking thank joint you. book signing in New Orleans at Arno. This, this needs to happen. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Agreed. That would be great. I know. I, I don't know. See, some, somebody was saying that was on my show a couple of weeks ago that Barnes & Noble were starting to do you know, some things again. I don't know. Here they're close. Like in Chicago, they've closed some, you know, in, in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, I think it would be great if they start doing book signings at, at bookstores. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure that that's happening, you know, which they should because the the people that read books love to meet the authors. They'd love it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, you know, that's a mistake from the marketing standpoint and, you know, from a lot of the bookstores that, you know, before the pandemic. They just weren't as, yeah. you know, they're just not, you know. And unless mm-hmm. you were, you're, a publishing company was giving them, I suppose, a lot of money to put them in the window, all their books in the window, everybody else doesn't count. So that's wrong. So I think maybe somewhere yeah. in this, I think they should start having, if if, a, if it's an independent group of authors that have had a book edited, it's a good cover, they're good authors, it shouldn't make any difference because readers couldn't care less who publishes it. They just want the story. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they don't care. They don't They don't go like, you know, there's a lot of names they never even heard of, so why, why would they care? It's just other authors mm-hmm. make it hard for other authors because they think they're, you know, that... They somewhat better of an author, and that's not true. It has there's oh. so many independent authors that are so good. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I think so the I times think, are changing on that. Because <laughs> now we're down I'm to hoping. the big four. I think the big four yeah. publishing. Yeah. And yeah. I know that the yeah with agents go. I just had a whole interview with. Uh, I got to interview. Oh my goodness! Now that I brought this up, I forget her name. Uh, Kristen Nelson, and she was saying like, uh-huh. 10 years ago there was so many, like 500 editors that you could pitch something to, and yeah. now there's yeah. like a handful, you know. So yeah. it is going to the independent 
And a lot of the book signings and stuff are now taking place at more creative venues like coffee shops yes, or that's true. Li- You're right. the libraries are a given, you know, or like Arno, right. I could totally see doing a book signing at the shelter to bring people, the readers that would be interested in this, directly to the place yes. where these animals are. You know, I love the oh, idea. Yeah. That's a good idea, and I think what, you know, and I think that's a wonderful idea, and I think those mm-hmm. those are the venues that people will come to, you know. And mm-hmm. I think that if they want to know why bookstores aren't doing well, it's because if your book isn't just for the first month, they get rid of you. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, I've had so yeah. many authors on here, and they go like, oh, two months. They don't, you know, go on obstinate. Mm-hmm. And that's ridiculous. A book can be, like, Anne Rice's books are going to be in, in stores forever, and people are going to read them mm-hmm. forever. So why why would any oh, yeah. of us that are authors be not the same? You know, it doesn't yeah. have to be written that year. But they make a even in contests, it's so ridiculous. If a book is written in two years ago, why can't you enter it in a contest? It doesn't make any sense. You know, it puts a lot of pressure on authors to have to keep pumping out, even if they just had a good book and they didn't get a time to really market it the way they wanted it to. So why couldn't it be just in a book that's good rather than mm-hmm. right at that moment? So it's kind of sad that maybe it will change. I really hope it does. You know, mm-hmm. we have to have something more fair for all these authors. There are so many independent authors now. I mean, it's not just mm-hmm. a few. It's a lot, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's I think there are up things, to you us know. to change it, though. It's going to be up yeah. to us to come up with the ideas yeah. to provide the new venues. That's true. Um, like, you know, doing Arno, could you imagine if maybe five or six of us, as many as could get down there, would go do a book signing at Arno, and then if you adopt an animal, well, we don't want to promote, you know, like yeah. spur-of-the-moment adoptions, like calculated adoptions. But if you were thinking about adopting an animal. Yeah, yeah give yeah. you the dang book, you know, for adopting the animal or so, something like that. Yeah. I mean, it would have to be. Yeah, I, our, I think. Arno well, would yeah, have because way right, more yeah, right. ability to do that. I think I think that's knowledge. true because, you know, they have so many animal commercials on. So you know mm-hmm. that it, it tugs on people's hearts to, to see these animals. And so I think having the signing at a place like that would probably be very good It would with mm-hmm. several authors. I think people would be very receptive to that. It's a good idea. Yeah, well, and we actually have done that a number of times. Like, I know the Horror Writers Association has, I think they've stopped it now, but it was an initiative of, um, it's it's horrible to be alone, I think was the tagline, but it was where all the authors got together with shelter pets and tried to take pictures and promote and do fundraising for shelters that were theirs locally, like the ones that they had access to easily. Um, so there yeah. is things like that. Um, that's actually the first anthology I ever published was, the proceeds were to benefit Heart Animal Rescue in Florida, like Upper Panhandle, Florida. But unfortunately, that was my first thing I ever did. So nobody knew who any of the authors were or the book or the publisher. Nobody really ever yeah. bought it. So yeah. I'm sorry. Well, you know what? I, right, I think I think as we said before, things are changing. I think people are becoming it more is. aware and, you know, also – you know, I am now on TikTok, which I didn't think I would be, <laughs> but I am on TikTok, and I've noticed so many people on TikTok with books. So I'm just putting my mm-hmm. covers out lately, but it takes, you know, I'm not going to be dancing on TikTok. It's not happening. So that's for me. <laughs> but I think that I, I was amazed to see how many authors are on there with their books. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. those those. I'm, I'm going to say as a 53-year-old woman, those dang kids. They don't yeah, even, yep. they, they just TikTok their book and it's a bestseller. What the heck? I know that. I know that. So, right, so, right. And that's the truth. And, right, you put a good song youngster. to it and you start dancing or talking and, you know, yeah. it's out there. And so I, I think this yeah. is going to be a help to authors. You know, I try, I like to try everything. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've been trying this. And, you know, and so I think, and there's something called, um, Book talk. So I'll, on my show, if people are listening, I'm trying this, and we'll see how that is. It's a certain thing, that they, and they give it to reviewers, and if they like your book, hopefully then they will put it, start talking about your book on a TikTok. That's what you want. I mean, this is this is the way it is. Yeah. Not that it's not, you know, this is how life is now. Like you said, changes. This is what it is. This sells books. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, all the things that none of us really, all the things that authors don't want to do, we have to do. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I'm trying it. Yep. So we'll see. So uh, this has been a really great show. So does everybody want to talk a little bit at the end now of what their projects are? So who would like to talk about what their next project is before we go and where they can find them? Angela? you want to say um, where they sure, can yeah, find you? Know. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> just basically my name, AngelaEurekoSmith.com. Or if you don't want to spell Eureka, because I get it, uh, Angela yeah. Y. Smith <laughs> also goes to the same place. But it's okay. everything kind of goes through there. All my social media should be linked, and I try to keep everything updated there. That's good. Uh, Operative word is try. <laughs> who would like to go next? I feel like this is school. Ahead, Anybody want to go next? Okay. Oh, okay, yeah. So I am, you can find out all my information at ElainePascal.com. That's E-L-A-I-N-E-P-A-S-C-A-L-E.com. It has links to my social media. I do have a few things coming out soon, but I don't know exact dates, so I don't want to plug anything just yet until I know, until I can okay. give you a date. But okay. if, if you keep up with okay. my stuff, I'll be, I'll be promoting. Okay. Okay. Um, and so I'm Rebecca. Um, yep. People can find my information at rolandbooks.com, R-O-W-L-A-N-D books.com. I've actually had probably the best year of my writing and editing career. Great. Um, in wow, addition great. to Dancing in the Shadows, Generation X came out in January, which Elaine has a fantastic story in. Um, and I have another anthology coming out March 2023. It's called American Cannibal. It reimagines um, uh, American history, um, all periods of American history, but uh, incorporating cannibalism, uh, metaphorically oh. or literally. Uh-huh. Okay. I have two, two novellas coming out this summer. Shagging the Boss wow. comes out in two weeks from Filthy Loot. And uh, Optic Nerve comes out from D&T Publishing in July. And I'm very proud to be able to say that I am in three upcoming anthologies, one from D&T in wow. August, one from Sinister Smile in September, and another one from Sinister Smile for the kick-ass Women in Horror anthology in March. So I am, I, I've just, I've been so, so fortunate Elaine inviting me to to uh, join her in this anthology was really like the cherry on the Sunday. It was just wow. fantastic. So I'm very very grateful. Great. Please come to my website and check them out. Uh, okay. And Trish, you want to talk, ask any questions okay. before? Yeah. And, and I'm Trish. Um, I'm Elizabeth A. Black on Facebook, and I'm in the process of adding Trish Wilson to that. Um, I'm going to be in Dust Garden Revisited, which is by, uh, edited by Lauren, Lauren Rhodes. It's a nonfiction book, and it, my essay is about when I was a teenager and I visited Edgar Allan Poe's home and grave in Baltimore. So uh, that book, uh, actually, we're doing a podcast about that book. Yeah, is she coming on in a couple, when is it? Yeah, when is it? Yeah, she's coming on in a couple of weeks. And um, as I said, I'm the uh, media director for the Horror Zine. My next interview is coming out in July. I interviewed splatterpunk author John Skip, and it's a fantastic interview, and it's going to be at the Horror Zine uh, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and he was on our show. He was on a couple weeks ago with you. Oh, it was great. He was great. It was fabulous. <laughs> and um, trying to get a show together with Josh because I sent Josh Mallerman because yeah, they're working Josh, on a project together. So, I mean, you know, it's um, I'm happy to have any of you on the, the show, and we should maybe have a show one of these days just about writing tips and things like that because it seems like you all are so into writing, which is a good thing, and I am a writer also. Mm-hmm. So we kind of – I have shows on every subject and at least today we stayed on focus, which is because this is a focal point. Usually I do not stay on focus, but uh, because it comes, uh, things come up. I don't have written questions, so I think, you know, I think I see who the authors are and who the people are on my show, and it's, you know, they get to do what they want on the show because it's not really about me. Although I should say I am an author and I do have some books out, new ones. Uh, I'm a happily ever, I, I should use that now, happily ever after author. So um, not only that, you know, but I really, you know, I don't talk that much about my books, but um, 
I am a writer and a screenwriter, which I love. That's, you know, I love movies. And I have shows for on Hollywood topics. Trish has been on several of them. We've had Handmaid's mm-hmm. Tale. We've had several. We've had Gilded Age, uh, mm-hmm. Downton Abbey. So, job. I mean, you think I should do one on that? Yeah, if you, you know, yeah. depending on how many people have been watching it. Yeah, that'd be a good one. I don't know. Nobody's met. You know, I just finished it. Yeah. I mean, I'm always up for anything, <laughs> you know, and I'm having a show okay. in a couple weeks with, um, yeah, you know, I mean, I think that people like those shows because there's, everybody's watching TV, you know, and they have Netflix. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's so much on there. And people have a really a good – that's why I'm hoping some of these – producers and directors they start really watching more of the people that are doing books because almost all these movies that you see are on books from books mm-hmm. oh they actually you know, are <laughs> that's where all the money they is coming are. from right and, now <laughs> yeah no right and you know uh amy mead will be on my show and she did we had a thing with the for the ukraine she had 190 authors on and she likes old movies so I hadn't, I didn't know her before, but she had an auction for, you know, Ukraine. And so I put my books on there, and I met her, and then I realized she likes old movies. So she'll be on next week, and we're going to talk about old movies because I am fascinated by on Facebook how many people really are watching all the oldies, the black and white movies, no less. You know, so life has really mm-hmm. changed that way. You know, a lot of young people are watching, you know, a lot of the older movies. You know, and that's a good thing. So those are mm-hmm. being alive. You know, you, they're keeping movies alive, so I think they need to keep all these books alive, you know, and not just look for the bestseller today. So, you know, anybody, so just let me know. Email me if you want to come on the show ever. And um, Trish, I will see, let's see, when is our date for that show? It is coming up. July. July. Before we know it, it'll be, summer will be gone. I, once it starts to be oh, July 4th, oh, oh. I get nervous. It's going to be ending fast, and I don't like that. <laughs> I'm, a Chicago, I'm in Chicago. Why would I, right? Why would I? It's going to be ice and snow. All right, thank you, everybody, and I hope this the book does very well, Anthology. Thank and you. I'll, I posted it a lot of places, and I'll continue to post it as long as you have it for, you know, forever now. That's okay. I'll post it yeah. because sometimes, you know, you. that's why it's good. Yeah, no, it's Thank good you. to have yeah. that out, you know, out for a long time. You know, it's not for, it's it, some it of the pantos, like I said before, they're on for a month. Here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now it'll be here as long as Amazon's here, and it will be sending money right. to Arno. So yeah. as long as they're here and Amazon's here, count on that. Well, I figure here. if Amazon is not here, then I'm not sure all of us will be here either. So that's pretty much. The only thing left will be cockroaches. <laughs> Oh God! Well, that, now that is a horror writer talking. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I'm sorry. Right, I have to thank, bring up the cockroaches. It's all right. All right. Thank you all. Take care. Thank Come you. on again. Don't forget. Thank you, Marty, okay, thank for you. having us. You're welcome. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.